Hey Evergreen and friends, I'm Carlos, and I wanna just begin by thanking you for joining us this week. It is so important, hear me out, Evergreen, it is so important that we continue to gather, even if for this season, it means we're gathering online. It's so important because when we do, we build each other up. And we, we believe that this happens not through our wisdom or through our power, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because He's the one that ministers to our needs when we gather and we sing and we listen to the teaching of His Word and we respond to it. So thank you for joining us. And if you're anything like me, especially in 2020, man, you are in need of encouragement. You are in need of God's perspective. And lots of people, I remember back in early, uh, late uh, 2019, lots of speakers were saying, 2020, that's going to be the year of clarity. The year where we have perfect vision, right? 2020. But clearly, they did not see any of this coming. Instead, it seems like we are living in a season between staring down real dangers and waiting for God's deliverance. 2020 has become a season between danger and deliverance. Now, what dangers am I referring to? I think you all know. I'm talking about the ongoing threat of this novel virus and the damages that are continued through economic uncertainty, a hundred days of civil unrest, the hardships of closed schools and small businesses, and of course, the latest danger happening, these unprecedented megafires here in the state of Oregon. Before I go on, I just wanna take a moment, and I just wanna express to all those that have been affected by the fires this week, we want you to know, Evergreen, we have been praying. And please, 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 if there's anything that our church can do, please let us know how we can be of service. And for those of us in our church family who have been a part of the servicemen and women and the volunteers, or just being the hands and feet of Jesus, helping people in need, helping people evacuate, opening up their homes, donating. Man, I just want to personally, on behalf of Evergreen, thank you. Way to go. Way to be the church. You know, in 2020, we've, we've just been staring down the face of real dangers. Yet as followers of Jesus, we hold on to the promise of deliverance. As Christians, we believe that what we're experiencing are momentary afflictions, and we are confident that it's just a matter of time before we see deliverance. Can I get an amen? Deliverance. This is our hope. This is our confidence. This is our faith. And in Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We don't see deliverance yet, but we have faith that it's coming. But I have to ask, how do we live in this in-between space? I'm talking about the time between the felt danger and the deliverance. You know, considering the, these questions this week, I was reminded by my wife, Ilsian, of the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. 
You know, they too found themselves staring in the face of danger, trapped between a sea and a menacing army led by a hard-hearted pharaoh. This is the danger that they faced in Exodus 14, before seeing their deliverance, the famous parting of the Red Sea. You know, I want to take a moment and look at that together. So would you go with me to Exodus 14? We're going to be reading four verses beginning in uh, verse 10. But before we do that, let's, take, let's do a quick retelling of the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. You know, in this moment in world history, the nation of Israel finds themselves brutally enslaved by Pharaoh, the king of, of Egypt. God calls on a man with a stutter named Moses to be their leader, and he begins to demand for Pharaoh to let his people go. Now, at first, Pharaoh refuses, and so God begins to motivate Pharaoh's release of the people by sending the famous ten plagues on Egypt. After the tenth plague, Pharaoh finally lets the people of Israel go, go, but it's not long before Pharaoh regrets that decision and goes after the people of Israel who have now been led by God in the wilderness and are camped next to the Red Sea. And this is where we pick up in chapter 14. Beginning in verse 10, we read, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Now, I'd like to offer you a few observations from this incredible part of God's story in hopes that it can benefit us. First of all, notice the people's reaction to danger. They were understandably first terrified and they cried out to God. But they quickly became critical of leadership. They started critiquing their leader, Moses, blaming him for putting them in in a position at death's doorstep. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Man, these Israelites, they were totally being human. You know, danger does this. It tends to, to, to breed a critical spirit and so, the, so that it blames others. I mean, how often have we seen leaders blamed for what we are experiencing? You know, we've gotten pretty good at it here in America. Public critic, criticism is as American as apple pie. You know, our social platforms are now overflowing with it. The blame game is strong in 2020. You know, the danger tends to make us critical. 
we tend to want to blame others for our circumstances. It's a coping mechanism, but it doesn't lead to what we really want, which is deliverance. I want you to ask yourself, has danger caused me to be unfairly critical of leadership? Have I been overly critical towards family and friends or others in my circle? You know, a second observation is how at the face of danger, the Israelites romanticized the past. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert, the Israelites argued. You know, freshly made free, yet already wanting to go back to slavery. Slavery was more attractive than death. That's the effect of danger. Experiencing danger can do that to us. It lowers the bar of our expectation. Danger causes us to want to settle. The people wanted to go back to normal. Does that remind you of anyone? Now, what was back to normal for them? It was a life of brutal oppression and slavery. How many times have we in this season desired things to go back to normal? Hey, I get it. But we too shouldn't make the mistake of romanticizing the past. But what if our desire for normal caused us to miss God's deliverance? What if normal means we go back to our modern day forms of slavery? Slavery to a life of complacency, comfort, consumerism. Slavery to self-reliance and individualism. Slavery to man-made religion, tradition, and political idolatry. What if romanticizing normal was, set, was settling for less? And forward uncertainty is where we find God's deliverance. What if God doesn't will for us to go back to normal? What if God wants us to wait for better? What if normal is not God's best for us? God, we don't want normal. We want your deliverance. Even if it means waiting for it. Are you willing to wait for God's deliverance? Can I get an amen from anyone? One final observation. Look at what Moses suggested the people do in this moment between danger and deliverance. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You know, Moses calls them to stand firm and be still in the face of danger. He calls them to hold on to their peace, to be silent, to be still. You know, the psalmist said it this way, cease striving and know that I am God. Moses says, be still and reassures them that God will fight on their behalf. And the promise is that they will once again see the deliverance of the Lord. 
And I want to remind you of that same truth today. God is fighting for you if you are standing in him. Those who trust in Jesus will see the deliverance of the Lord. And when it comes to God's deliverance, it's never late. It's always on time and it never disappoints. I also want to tell you that we too can reap the benefits of being silent, of holding on to peace, of being still at the face of danger as we wait for our deliverance. And before you argue, man, that's just way too passive, let me explore with you how being still could be the most active thing you can do in this season between danger and deliverance. I want to offer you three action steps. Number one, stand firm by reminding yourself of who is fighting for you. You know, a great way to remind yourself of who is fighting for you is by meditating on scripture that describes who God is. A good one for that would be Psalms 114, where it says, When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs, tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. The God who is fighting for us is able to make the sea flee, the mountains and hills skip, and the rocks gush forth with water. You see, this is a picture of absolute power and authority. And that is who is fighting for us. The God who is fighting for us went undefeated against Pharaoh in the Old Testament and the devil in the New Testament. So we can stand and be reminded that the most powerful being in the universe is on our side, able to bring deliverance. In Paul's words, if God is for us, who can be against us? Church, I want to remind you today of who is fighting for you. I want to encourage you this week, meditate on scripture, listen to the words in worship, journal about who God is, and in doing so, you will be standing firm in who is fighting for us. Action step number two, remind yourself of what God has specifically delivered you from in the past. In Exodus 14, the Israelites, they were so gripped with fear that they failed to recall all that God had already accomplished for them. These were the people who had witnessed with their very eyes the ten plagues they had allowed just, just moments before to, be, to walk freely from years of slavery and oppression. God had done that for them. What if at the sight of this approaching army led by Pharaoh, they began to recall all that they had witnessed in Egypt? But not just recall the who, but also the what. What if we did that in this season? I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to, I want you to take a moment today, this week, in this season, and I want you to write down 
all the things that God has done in your life where he's proven himself faithful and able to deliver. I want you to write down 10 expressions of God's power in your life. Really. So, I want to encourage you to do that. And I've done a little bit. I've started my list. So I want to share some of the things that God has done in my life. I want to tell you how, as a child, God spared the life of my entire family of eight. When we took a, a, a necessary road trip to El Salvador from California, and on the way to El Salvador, the brakes of the car completely went out. And we had to finish the trip only using the e-brake. That's how merciful God was for, our, for me and my family. I, I could share with you, and I, and I could meditate on how in my senior year in college, God brought me out of severe depression, which was by far the darkest six months of my life. God rescued me from that darkness. I can also tell you, be a witness to how in my 20s, God restored and redeemed my life after experiencing the pain and the shame of divorce. Now in my 30s, I can, I can testify to the way God provides and how he continues to bless and how he's opened doors that I never would have imagined being opened so that I would know and serve his purposes. I mean, I could go on. I only gave you four. Uh, but I want to encourage you to make your list of ten. He has been our deliverer in the past. Why wouldn't he do it again? I want to I read Psalm 77, 11 through 12. It says this. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. The third and final action step is I want to encourage you to have an even if resolve. You know, in Daniel 3, we read this incredible story of three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love those names. And I know you might, have known, you might know this story. You know, in Daniel 3, we meet another evil king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he was in power, and he was, he was demanding that, that everyone were to bow down to a, uh, a golden image he made of himself at the sound of music. And he was actually threatening to throw anyone into burning a burning furnace who did not bow down. Well, we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to worship this image. And when, when asked by Nebuchadnezzar himself, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? In Daniel 3.17, these men famously said this. They, says, they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Simply put, our God can deliver, but even if he does not, we will still worship only him. This is that even if resolve, that even if faith, that is complete surrender to a God who has already proven, I want you to hear this family, he's already proven faithful and good when he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And by doing that, he demonstrated 
once and for all that he has our best interests in mind. And with that truth in mind, I want to prepare us to participate together in communion. Communion represents the ultimate deliverance God has granted for all who believe in Jesus. When Jesus gave his life for us on that cross, he was delivering us from sin and death, our ultimate danger. And so by participating in communion, we bring, in, we bring to remembrance his sacrifice and his great deliverance. And we remember the fact that his body, which is represented by the bread, was broken on our behalf. So I want to invite you right now to take the bread, bread together. And symbolizing his blood that was shed on our behalf is the cup. Blood which atoned for our sins. And it's really the only thing, it really is the only thing that has the power to make us clean, forgiven, and righteous in the sight of God. And so we drink from this cup in remembrance of these truths. I invite you to drink the cup together. Evergreen, we're gonna be ending today's service with a song, but before we do that, I just wanna leave you with these powerful words from the book of Psalms. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On my God, on God my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us all.